So this morning we're starting this new series called uh, Five Assumptions. So it's based off of a book that the senior leader of the Movement of Grace Church, Jeff Bogue, uh, wrote and just came out, I don't know, a couple months ago, something like that. I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be a really good book. It's going to be a good series for us to dig into it. Um, our grace groups, our small groups are going to be digging in throughout the week as well. Josiah told you we got, we, we bought, we can get them a little bit cheaper as a church than you could buy them on your own. So we bought some copies, a limited number of copies back there if you're interested in that. But I want to say this, I've, I've been praying and asking the Lord, like, as we dig into this series and, we, and, and some of these assumptions, some false assumptions maybe that we have about who God is and what it looks like to follow him, I've been praying that, number one, it makes an impact on us, right? That it hits our hearts and helps us uh, have a fuller understanding of who God is. But number two, the next step that we can so easily forget that we then are equipped and prepared and challenged to give it away to other people. Right, so as you listen this morning, think, don't just think, I want to get fed, I want to learn, I want to grow, this is what I'm going to get out of this. Think about people that God has placed in your life that then you can share this stuff with. That maybe will be, I'm going to share a little bit of my story with you this morning, that maybe struggled the same way that I struggled, right? Or, or maybe they know somebody or you know somebody who's struggling that same way. So the, the goal is learn for ourselves, but then also be challenged and prepared to give it away to other people. Make sense? Following? All right. So um, it, it was fun. This week I was thinking about, if you don't know me, I got two kids. I have a wife and two kids. Uh, my wife's Marsha. I have a son who's 10 years old and a daughter who's 7 years old. And I was thinking about them this week and how different they are, right? Like they have very different personalities. And so my son Luke, you don't talk to him when he first wakes up because he's mean. He's grumpy and he's mean. My daughter, Natalie, she wakes up and she wants to give you a hug. And she's like, you know, floating through the air. It's like, right. So they have like different personalities. I look at them and I think, we're the same parents to them. You know, like they grow up in the same household, same mom and dad. And yet they could be so different. And you think about that. Like, I bet you're, you're smiling because you, I bet you have those same experiences with your kids or your siblings or grandkids or whoever. You know, like God wires each of us differently. And I think that's interesting. So some kids are just like fun-loving kids. You know, that's their personality. Other kids are very serious, like stoic, right? Other kids are just crazy bundles of energy, and they just want to go around like they're on sugar highs all the time. Other kids are a little more rebellious, right? There's different personalities. I was thinking about my, my personality this week. And so I was, if you knew me when I was a kid, you probably described me as um, hyperactive and kind of annoying. Like, that's just kind of who I was. You know? like I, was, I was jumping around, and I was loud, and I was bouncing balls all over the place. But I also had a, a, like a really strong sense that I wanted to do the right thing. Like, I am wired to be a rule keeper. Anybody else wired that way? Nobody wants to raise their hand. They're like, it's cooler to be a rebel. No one wants to raise their hand for a rule keeper, right? But I, I'm, like, I'm like a rule keeper, and so I wanted to listen to my parents. Like, I, I didn't want to get in trouble. You know, I didn't want to make mistakes. And I had this really strong conscience. And so when I do something wrong and I know it, I feel terrible about it. So like the worst day of my life that I remember growing up was in third grade. I was out at recess. It was wintertime. I was out at recess. And um, my friend Matt Harold, God bless Matt Harold. I have no idea whatever happened to Matt Harold, but I, I, would, I was a little bit bigger than Matt, and so on recess, this was kind of my thing. I'd come up behind my friends, and I'd put my arm around them, and then I'd stick my leg out, and I'd trip them, right? It's terrible. I know. It's terrible. So I did that to Matt. I tripped him. He slipped on the ice, and he landed on his head, and he got a concussion, 
And I remember being, I, I don't remember anything my teacher said the rest of the, of the day in class. I remember just sitting there being freaked out, like, I just hurt Matt Harold. I just gave Matt Harold a concussion. Like, that's how I'm wired, like strong, strong conscience. I want to do the right thing. I want to follow the rules. So I grew up going to church, like every week. My parents, there's four of us kids. My parents, God bless them, took us every week to church. And the church that we went to um, had a lot of rules, right? Like a lot of rules. And so some of the rules, we talked about this, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago, a few months ago. Some of the rules are right out of the Bible. The Bible's got some rules in it, right? They're called imperatives. God gives us some things to do. Do this, don't do that. It's going to lead to a fuller life. So some of the rules at the church came out of the Bible. Some of the rules were, to be quite honest, were rules that the church thought were best, the church made up, the church decided on. And so in some ways, that fit my personality really well, you know? You go to a place that's got a lot of rules, you do the right thing, you follow the rules, that's what's best. You don't get in trouble that way, you don't feel guilty that way, right? And so in many ways then, that became the filter through which I saw God. I saw God as do the right thing, follow the rules, and God will be pleased with you, right? That's how, that's how I saw him. You don't get in trouble that way. You don't feel guilty that way. Well, it worked well for me when I was younger, and then I got older, and I started to not always want to follow the rules, right? Like, if you get to be a teenager, those of you who have teenagers know, teenagers don't always want to follow the rules. And so when I became a teenager, I started to not want to follow some of the rules. I started to want to break some of the rules, right? I got this little bit of, of a rebellious side inside of me. And it's funny, I was thinking back about it this week. I never worried about my parents finding out the times that I did the wrong thing, like the times that I broke my rules. Like, you know, I, I knew they loved me. I knew if they did, fi- I could hide it. And if they did find out, I knew that they would forgive me. But with God, it was different for me because I, I couldn't hide it with God. And so I felt way more guilty with God, like, like I was always in trouble with him. Like he was always disappointed in me because I knew that he knew, right? Can't, can't hide it with him. He knows everything. He sees everything. He knew, and I, so in my, you know, whatever, young mind, I knew because I was breaking the rules that God was not happy with me because the way to please God is to do the right thing. The way to be on God's good side is to follow the rules, do the right thing. And then, think about this, God also knows what we're thinking, right? And I knew that I wasn't thinking a lot of the right things either. And so I always felt like God was disappointed in me. I always felt like I was in trouble with God. And it's interesting. I don't know. I think different people respond differently to that sort of thing. My personality is when, uh, when I feel like somebody is, is disappointed in me or, you know, they think the worst about me. Some people, they, they're, they're people pleasers and they want to go and like make it right. Like I want everybody to like me. I distance myself, right? Like I, I, I go, well, you think the worst of me. You're disappointed in me. I don't like feeling that way. And so I'm going to push you away and I'm not going to think about it. And that's really what I did with God. I mean, so I'm, I'm not following the rules. I'm doing some wrong things, and I knew it. In fact, I kind of liked it 
therefore he's disappointed with me and he's not pleased with me and I'm on his bad side and I don't like feeling like I'm on somebody's bad side and so I'm just going to avoid God and do my own thing. And really that was me from middle school through high school up to the first part of college up till I was 20 years old. That, I wanted to do the right thing. Like I had this sense of right and wrong, and I felt really guilty doing the wrong thing, and yet I kind of wanted to do the wrong thing. And so I always felt like God was disappointed in me. Maybe this morning as you sit here, some of you can relate to that. You know, maybe, maybe that's your story as well. Like you, you feel like the way to be cool with God, to be right with God, is to perform. Is to, is to do the right thing, is to follow the rules, be a good person. That's what's going to get you on God's good side. Or that's what's going to keep you on God's good side. We've got to keep performing and keep performing and keep performing or else bit by bit we're going to go to God's bad side. And then what happens is I feel like I'm a, I'm a sinner in the hands of an angry God. You ever heard that before? That's... that's probably the most fam- the title of the most famous sermon in American church history. 5,300 years ago, written by a guy named Jonathan Edwards. Sinner, I feel like I'm a sinner in the hands of an angry God. And I feel like I have no security, right? No solid ground to stand on. And so when I let myself think about God, I feared him. I was scared of him. Guys, let me ask you, is that it? Is that, is that what Christianity is? Is the Bible just a rule book that you and I have to work really, really hard to keep? And the more that we keep it, the more God likes us or gives us, shows us his favor. And the less that we keep it, the less God likes us and the more in trouble we get with him. I, back then, I didn't read the Bible ever like as a, when I was a kid, I would hear you know, different things in church, but I never read the Bible on my own. I think if I were to read this passage, and I'm going to read to you here in just a second, it, it would have been, it would have rocked my world. It would have been, it's a completely different perspective on who God is than what I have. We'll throw it up on the screen. This is in John chapter three. Listen to this. These are, these are words of Jesus. Jesus said this. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. You guys know that story that, that Jesus is referring to there? It's in Numbers 21. So this is something that happened thousands of years before Jesus, okay? So this is when Moses and the Israelites, okay? And the Israelites are like rebelling against God. They're doing the wrong thing. And so God uh, sends, allows, I don't know, snakes, poisonous snakes to come into their camp and they start biting people, and people are dying from these snake bites, right? And then people finally start freaking out, and they cry out to God, and they're like, God, save us, save us. And so God says, Moses, here's what I want you to do. Get some bronze, make a snake-looking thing out of it, put it on the end of a pole, and raise it up in the air. And when somebody gets bitten by a snake and they're dying, they can look at this serpent raised up in the air, and they will be saved crazy, right? This actually happened. So this is what Jesus is referring to here. So see the metaphor. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life, be saved the same way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now listen, when you, when you hear that, when you, when you read that, when you think about that, like, why, how do you process through Jesus' words there? Like, I read that and I think, man, if you would have read that to me or if I would have thought about that when I was 18 years old, it would have had a, com- it's a completely different view of who God is compared to what I believed about God. And so as I read this, four words, in these four verses, four words like jump out to me. The first one is loved. I underline love, right? God loved the world. By the way, that means the people of the world. It doesn't mean like he loved the earth, although I think he loves the earth. But it's talking about the people of the world. God so loved the people of the world, right? And I think about that and I think that wouldn't be back then one of the first words that I would use to describe God, a loving God. I didn't. I didn't think of God that way. I, I thought of God as more stern and cold. Like he had done a great thing, a very kind thing for us in sending Jesus, but he wasn't real happy about it. That's, that's how I saw God. I didn't see God as a loving God. God so loved the world that he gave. I, 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 the thought of God giving was like foreign to me. I saw God as more of a taking kind of God. Right? Like he, he takes our obedience. He requires it and he takes it. He receives our obedience. And he takes blessing from us when we're disobedient. That's how I saw God. Condemn. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. And I think about that. He, so he didn't come to condemn. I think of God, I thought of him exactly the opposite of that. He was an inspecting God. He had these rules that I'm supposed to follow and he was inspecting me, inspecting me, inspecting me, waiting to condemn me when I didn't follow those rules. That's how I saw him. This is saying he didn't come to condemn the world, but to save. That's the last one. I've shared in the past here a few times. I, I would have this reoccurring nightmare as a kid that Jesus was going to come back, but he wasn't going to save me. He wasn't going to take me to be with him. But like in the end, he was going to pull the rug out from under me and say, you didn't believe enough. You, you weren't quite good enough. You were close, but sorry, you didn't make the cut. Like that's how I saw God. Guys, one, one of the most difficult teachings in all of the Bible for many of us to get that was a real struggle for me to grab hold of in my own life is that God loves us and did all the work for us. So some of you need to hear that this morning. Like we all come in with baggage, right? We all got like hard stuff in our lives. Some of you have a view of God like I had a view of God. And he doesn't really love you. He's a little bit more frustrated with you, the things that you've done. And you got work to do to try to make him happy, to try to please him. Listen, God loves us. God loves you, and he did all the work for us. Being, being accepted by God, knowing God, loving God, being loved by God, talking to God, being blessed by God, all of those things are like our birthright when you and I are reborn as children of God, period. That's what he does for his kids. That's how he sees us. And we, and, we, and we think about that, God loves us, he did all the work for us, and we, we go, many times, if you're like me, you go, it seems too good to be true. 
Like, there's got to be a catch to it. There's got to be something more. It's not fair. Like, I should have to do something in all of this. I think of it this way. You ever, you ever go to a restaurant with a friend, you know, somebody that you enjoy being with, and when, you know, the, the waiter or waitress comes to take your order, and they say one check or two, and your friend immediately goes, one check, I got it. Give the check to me. And you're like, oh, wow, that's really nice of you, you know? And then you have your meal. You try to not get too much food, you know, because they're paying for it. And then you, get, you eat your meal, and then they, they bring the check over. And, and then what do you say? You go, well, can I cover the tip, right? And they go, no, I got it. Like, all you got to do is receive it. I want to I bless you this way. Guys, that's, that's like what it is with us and God. People go, you mean to tell me that I don't have to do anything to save myself? I don't have to do anything to be on God's good side? Like, he paid the bill and he paid the tip? Like, is that that what you're trying to tell me? Yes. Yes. That's exactly what I'm trying to tell you. That's what what the Bible says. See, this is hard for most people. And so as like being human, we often struggle to accept this and we wind up at one of two extremes. The first extreme is we feel like I got to prove myself to God. You know, like I feel like I got to, I got to do something. I got to work really hard to make God understand that I was worth it. I was worth having my bill paid, right? Or to keep God happy with me. And I keep feeling like I have to perform and I have to prove myself and I really am worth it, God. Or, at the other end, we have this apathetic spirituality where we go, oh, that's really nice. Thanks for paying my bill. And now I'm going to go off and do whatever I want. And I'm never going to think about you again. I'm never going to think about the one who paid my bill again. Right? And we act like we don't really care and we act like God is just okay with anything. As listen, neither of those two extremes please God. Neither of them. And, and when you look at it, prove myself or apathetic spirituality, look at those. Why do you think they don't please God? You know, you know why I think it is? Because it doesn't require any love and they don't require any relationship. Neither of those things, neither of those two extremes require any love or any relationship. Go, go back to my bill paying, your friend paying your bill metaphor. What sense would it make? How do you think it would make your friend feel if from that point on, every time you saw them after they paid your bill, you go to them and you tell them about all the good stuff you're doing. And you're like, you're trying to convince them that you were worthy to have them pay your bill. And you're like, man, I helped this person today and this person, and I've done a lot of really good deeds, and I went to the homeless shelter, and I went to the soup kitchen, and da, 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 and aren't I worthy of that? How do you think they would respond? You don't have to convince me that you're worthy. I already paid your bill. It's already done. I already think that you're worthy. You don't, you don't need to convince me, right? Or, or go to the other extreme. They pay your bill, and then every time you see them, maybe you see them at a restaurant another time, and they walk up and they go, Jeff, how you doing? And you go like this. And you turn your back to them. And you don't have anything to do with them. Like you don't care about them at all. You're not only not appreciative, you actually don't even want to have anything to do with that person. How do you think they would feel, right? 
See, neither of those two extremes, neither of those two responses require any love or any relationship. Here's the thing. God desires a relationship built off love from us, not an acquaintance built off authority. That's what, those are two very different things. That's, that's what I had the first 20 years of my life. An acquaintance built off authority. I was afraid of the authority figure God who I thought was looking, he was inspecting me and looking for reasons to condemn me. And all the time, that's not at all what God is looking for. It's interesting. There, there were, you guys, probably some of you have heard this story. There was a time when some of the teachers, like the religious people, the super religious people of Jesus' time, they came to him and they're trying to like stump him and, and like mess him up. And so they said, what's the most important commandment, Jesus? If you had to boil it all down to one thing, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus, when he answers, it's interesting what he doesn't say. He doesn't mention anything about personal holiness with us. He doesn't mention anything about obedience with us. He doesn't mention anything about righteousness with us. Do you know what he talks about? Love and relationship. So, so, so listen to this. This is in uh, Matthew 22. I'll throw it up on the screen. So they asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment, Jesus? And he says, they probably said it just like that, I'm sure. He said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see it in there? It's like all about love and relationship. Jesus, what's most important? Love God. Have a relationship with him. And oh, by the way, love other people. Have relationships with them, right? Stay with me here. Imagine, imagine somebody in your life. Maybe it's like a super close friend, a, a deep, deep friendship. Maybe it's a, a, a boyfriend or girlfriend, or maybe it's the one, you know. Or imagine if you're a new grandparent or you're a new parent. Is it, is it work to have interactions with those people? Like for me, grandparent, I, you know, grandparent like sticks out to me. Imagine a grandparent with a brand new baby. Is it like work to go hang out with that baby? Is it a burden to spend time with them? Does it take discipline to go be with them? Or is it a joy? Is it a privilege? Some, some of you have found the one in your life. Was it like work to go be with them and get to know them? Or is it all about discovering, like the excitement of discovering who they are when I love someone, do I dread meeting with them? Do, do I, I dread dealing with them? Do I dread spending time with them? Is that a burden to me that I, I have to reluctantly pursue? Or is it wonderful? Like, is it amazing? Is, is, it, is it, like, exciting to get to know them better? Do you feel safe and secure knowing that they see you similarly? Does it make you want to be a better person? Like I think about my kids. I love my kids. I think I want to be a good daddy to them. I want to be the best daddy possible to them. I want them to look up to me, right? They, they cause me to want to be a better person. I look at my wife and I think, she makes me want to be a better husband because I love her and I want to treat her the way that she deserves. Does, my lo does our love for other people like, cause us to evaluate our own shortcomings? 
and go, man, I want to grow. I want to change. I want to be different. See, because I, I think this is what Jesus meant in Matthew 11 when he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Like he's easy to love. God is, God is so easy to love. And, and when what we just looked at in Matthew 22, Jesus says, love God with all your heart and soul and mind. He desires a relationship with us built off of our love for him and his love for us. That's what he desires. Not an acquaintance built off his authority in our lives. I, I remember when, so I, I became a Christian when I was 20 years old, right after my second year in college. And I had, at the time, one friend who was a Christian. And uh, he was actually very instrumental in me coming to, to know the Lord. And so we decided that it would be smart for us to start meeting together regularly and like encourage each other and hold each other accountable. So maybe you've heard of like accountability partners. Like he, we're going to be accountability partners and help each other as, you know, we struggle through all of the temptations and stresses of college and stuff. So we decided that would be a smart thing for us to do. And so we started meeting and at first it was really helpful. Like at first it was really good, you know, like to ask each other how things were going and, you know, how our spiritual life was and our thought life and all that sort of stuff. And at first it was helpful in not, uh, uh, in, in mitigating the temptations and the trials and all that stuff of being a college student. But eventually I dreaded it. Like I love the guy, but I hated getting together and meeting with him. It, it became the thing that I least looked forward to in my week. Do you know why? Because we spent all of our time talking about how poorly we performed that week. Like we spent all of our time talking about the ways that we fell short in our relationship with God. And so we'd ask each other, one of the things we always ask each other is, how's your Bible reading time this week? How many, how many days did you, did you read your Bible? Did you pick your Bible up and read it? And every time it'd be like, eh, not that good. Six and a half days for me this week. Oh, it's terrible, right? Or what was your prayer time like this week? I don't, we'd ask each other that every time. How, how was prayer for you? I don't think I ever one time said, yeah, it's really good. Like my prayer life is vibrant. It was always, I should be spending more time in prayer. Like it's the God of the universe. I can talk to him anytime I want and I, I just don't do it enough. We talk, we'd always ask questions like our thought life, right? Like purity stuff. How are you doing in your thought life? Eh, not that good. You know, I, I was, was lusting after this, 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 right? Or we talk about selfishness. How are you doing with your selfishness? Not that good. I can think of this time, this time, this time, this time that I was selfish this week. And it was all performance stuff. Like that's what we spent our time talking about. The ways that we fell short that week and what we needed to do to work harder, right? To start doing more of the right things and stop doing more of the wrong things. And we actually seldom, almost never, talked about like how much we love God and like all that he's done for us and how much we enjoyed being with him and what we were learning from him. Like we never talked about that sort of thing. See, even with our best intentions, we got mixed up because our focus was on working harder. That's what was gonna grow us as Christians. Just knuckle down and do it. Work, discipline myself. Work, 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 instead of embracing Jesus, enjoying him appreciating what he's done 
enjoying spending time with him. Guys, let me, let me ask you some questions. What if, what if we rejected the assumption that God wants me to try harder in order to make him happy? What if, what if we took that assumption and we go, we rejected it? I go, no, I'm, that's, 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 not, that's not it. And instead we said, I'm going to embrace him. I'm going to enjoy him. I'm going to spend time with him and I'm going to love him. I'm going to think about what he's done in my life. Right? Like what if, what if we didn't feel, spend all of our time feeling guilty for what we haven't done and just enjoyed what Jesus has already done? What if we're not sinners in the hands of an angry God? What if we're sinners in the, hand, in the hands of a loving God who loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you? What if, what if God didn't want anyone to perish but instead wanted people to come to repentance and a relationship with him, like it says in 1 Peter. Jesus paid a debt that he didn't owe for a debt that I could never pay, right? How might we hear God differently? Like if we could just change this assumption, how might we talk to God differently? See, here's the thing. You failed the inspection. So did I. You fell short already. And yet God still loves you. You're the apple of his eye. When we realize that in spite of our sins, he still loves us, it changes everything. Because we don't have to hide them from him anymore. We don't have to lock it up all in the closet and pretend like we're perfect and always feel guilty before him. Instead, we can confess those things to him. And we can actually ask for his help to change us and to grow us. And, and think about how we treat others differently. I, I can tell you this is true in my own life. How do people that think the way to be, uh, to have God pleased with you, to have God happy with you, is to follow the rules, to do the right thing, how do those people that have that mindset treat others? I can tell you in my own life, ungraciously. Because we project that same sort of thinking on other people. And we go, listen, if the right thing to do is follow the rules and God gets upset when you don't follow the rules, I'm going to get, a, I am justified in getting upset with you and you and you when you don't follow the rules. And we end up being pretty cranky, ungracious people. Imagine how that changes when we go, God's not the inspecting God who's looking to condemn you, but he's the loving God of the universe and wants nothing more than to have a relationship with you. Total paradigm shift. You, you may have walked in here. I've, I've had people say this to me. If I, if I walk into a church, man, those church walls are going to collapse. That, thing, that whole thing is coming down. You don't know how bad I am. You don't know the rotten things that I've done in the past. You may walk in here this morning and you're like, I am the king of all sinners. I am the queen of all sinners. I am a rotten person, right? You may walk in here and say that. Guys, I, I promise you this. God is nothing but pleased that you're here this morning nothing but pleased and so am I the church is here for you not not to look down our noses at you you're, you're so bad no because we're so bad too we failed the inspection too you're the reason that we're here so that we could love you and bless you 
and help you experience the God who loves you and has plans for your life. I'd encourage you, as we, as we close, guys, why didn't the band call on up? I have a quote that I want to read to you, but before I do, I just want to encourage you. Like, I don't know where you're at when you came in this morning. We just came off Easter, right? So this is like, this is like Super Bowl for Christians. This is like the most important time of the year for us because it's so clear. The cross is so clear. And I, and I just want to challenge you to consider all this. The cross is empty and the tomb is empty because Jesus has risen from the dead. He's come back to life. And he's come back to give you new life too. And so this morning, if you sit here and you're like, I know some of you are like, I get all this. Like, I'm in. I understand. I love Jesus. And maybe some of you are like, yeah, I got, a, I got a different understanding that maybe needs some tweaking. I challenge you. We're going to sing one last song here. I challenge you, just take time with him and listen to him. I, I want to end with a, a quote from uh, Jess Books. I think he just said it so well. It just it hit my heart this week. He said, what if following God's not about trying harder? What if following God is not about getting our acts together? What if following God's not about us working hard and harder, trying to make God happy with us? What if all you and I have to do is receive his love and the forgiveness that he knows full well we need? What if?